Hello and welcome to Employment Talk. We're here to discuss the HR issues affecting you and keep you up to date with the latest employment law news. My name's Jo Mosley. I'm a support lawyer at Irwin Mitchell and I write our blogs and newsletters and I keep our team up to date. I'm delighted to be joined today by Elaine Hutley, who's a partner in our team. She's an all-round good egg and a lovely person to work with. Hi, Elaine. Hi, Jo. Thanks for having me. Very welcome. I hope that you'll be saying that at the end, <laughs> once <laughs> we've have, gone, gone through it. You have promised to be gentle with me. <laughs> I have, I have, and I will. Just for those of our regular listeners, just to let you know that Elaine has really kindly agreed to step into Glenn's shoes today as he's on holiday for a couple of weeks. And Elaine, just so that you know, we talk about employment law, obviously, but we've also been known to go off piste and discuss other stuff too. And a few weeks ago, Glenn told our listeners about his wife's search for the ideal bikini, something I'm sure most of our women listeners will relate to. So don't think that you have to stick to employment law. Okay, so I should tell you all about Mr H's search for the perfect mankini then. (laughs) Well, hopefully he can tell us about that himself when he comes back. (laughs) Well, you'll be relieved to know I'm not going to ask you about your swimwear of choice. But I am, as you say, going to ease you in gently. There won't be a quiz this time. All right, so shall we go? Please do. Brilliant. So as you know, the firm is helping employers develop their environmental, social and governance strategies to meet the challenges we're facing now and those that we're likely to encounter over the next decade or so. I thought that today we could focus on the social side of that and look particularly at employee well-being and specifically the drive towards a better life balance that's becoming increasingly important to both staff and their employers. And I thought it would be a good opportunity for us to discuss the recent trial into the four-day working week. So for those listeners who aren't aware of the trial, I'll just outline some of the brief facts. It was a six-month trial involving 61 UK employers and over 3,000 members of staff. The employers were drawn from a range of sectors, so we had tech, manufacturing, banking, housing and charities. Um, And I think there were a couple of others as well. And they were offered support to trial the four-day working week from an organisation called Four Day Week Global. And they published the report a couple of months ago, and it looks on the face of it certainly to have been a real success. We know that 92% of those engaged on the trial are continuing with it, and already 18% of those have made the changes permanent. So Elaine, before we go through the detail of the report, can I start by asking you if you have any clients who have introduced the four-day working week or have got plans to do so? Not existing clients who have introduced it and none that are planning to, but some are considering it in the earlier stages. But I do, one of my contacts is one of the businesses who signed up to the four day working week trial. Um, They're a a manufacturing business based up in um, Greater Manchester. They produce boxes and packaging and they did it and they are one of those 92% who are continuing with it afterwards because they speak really highly of it. It worked really well for them as a business and and as I say, they're carrying on with it. That's great news. Mm -hmm. Mm. Okay, well, 
let's go into the detail then about the actual trial itself. You've talked about one of your clients, and that's really interesting. But I think what our listeners will need to understand is that we we aren't talking here about the same four day working pattern, are we? We're not. No, there's there's lots of different approaches, which gives it the flexibility to lots of businesses out there who might think, well, we can't just do four days a week if we shut down one day. That wouldn't work for us. So, there are five main approaches to how businesses can implement this. Um, the, the first is a fifth day stoppage. So businesses are open four days a week and one day a week they close completely. And that's what the business that I mentioned, the packaging business up in Greater Manchester, that's what they did. They took Fridays as their shutdown day. Right. Um, and actually, of the businesses who do this fifth day stoppage, over a third choose to have the Friday off. So they followed that pattern, but that was the nature of their business. They could say to all of their clients and all of their suppliers, this is what they were planning to do. And so nobody would be available on the Friday. It worked from them from a cost saving point of view, because obviously they don't have to um, have machinery operating, they don't have to have the lights on, etc. And it also worked from an alternative point of view that if they needed maintenance, they could have people in on a Friday to run the maintenance because they didn't they didn't have to accommodate anybody else in operations running as usual. So mm-hmm. that's one approach. Another approach is if you can't, as a business, shut down operations for an entire day is to take a staggered approach. So that could involve staff taking alternating days off. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you might look at your entire workforce and you might split them into two with one side, one team taking Mondays off, the other team taking Fridays off. So you've got business continuity over five days, but your staff are working on a four day working week. Yeah. You can be even more flexible with that with option three by taking what we call a decentralised approach where different departments operate different work patterns. So complete flexibility on a department by department um, approach. Yeah. Alternatively, you can look at it as an annualised approach. So, for example, you could have employees working a 32-hour average week rather than a 37 and 37 and a half, which when you calculate that over the course of the year, it means that actually you you end up with an average of a four-day working week overall. Mm-hmm. And then you can have a conditional approach where you say it's perform- it's linked to targets. So you're less concentrated on sort of a regime of hours or a timetable for hours but actually it's all targets driven so employees will work the hours necessary in order to deliver an output or or perform a target. Right and if presumably if they don't then by being conditional it means it can be pulled is that right? Yes that's right yeah so and I think for a lot of businesses that gave them the comfort to give it a try because Mm. the biggest concern when whenever we talk to 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 clients or businesses or contacts is that productivity is going to be lost. Well, how can employees possibly achieve the same results or increase productivity if they're working less for us? And how do we measure that? And that's the key. Yeah, yeah, great. So do we know how many fewer hours the employees on the trial work compared to their normal hours? Yeah, so and that was part of the trial to do all that analysis. So we are really data rich on this. So on average, um, working hours reduced from 38 hours to 34 hours a week. So employers weren't losing an entire day for those who are working a standard seven hour day, Mm -hmm. um, but hours did reduce. 
Right. And did they receive the same pay for working fewer hours? Yeah, absolutely. That was a fundamental condition of the trial, that this wasn't part time working in the old sense of you work less, therefore you're paid less. This was about maintaining 100 percent pay, but giving a meaningful reduction to working time. Right, right. Well, I suppose from an employee's point of view, what's not to like? I'm assuming employee feedback was positive. Yeah, absolutely. Like you say, why wouldn't it be? Um, 90% of employees who were part of the trial and the study said that they definitely wanted to do to continue with a four day working week. And actually 15% said that they were so impressed by it that they wouldn't go back to a traditional five day working week model. And that was the case even if they'd been more offered more money to work the five day working week. So it, yeah, it, resounding success from an employee feedback point of view. Absolutely. Well, we started the podcast by raising the importance about supporting employees' health and well-being. So I want to sort of look at that in a bit more detail. Did the trial say much about that? Absolutely. And this is where we get back to that point of the trial. And it was the biggest worldwide trial on this um, is so data rich that we've got loads of statistics coming out of it. So you're going to hit me um, with some. I am going to hit you with some. So 39% of employees said that they were less stressed as a result. So this isn't just about am I working longer hours? This is looking at the impact that it has on them on a day-to-day basis on their well-being Mm -hmm. because stress is a factor that not only affects you when you're at work but obviously it affects your home life. So nearly 40% of employees said generally stress was um, improved. 43% said they felt an improvement to their mental health. So not just were you know, if you've got someone who doesn't get particularly stressed, it's not that they're not feeling stressed anymore, but actually this was an improvement to them. Mm. 43%, nearly half of employees said it had a positive effect rather than it minimised negative effects. So they were Um, feeling better. Yeah, exactly. Um, And they got, they were, they were getting back into that good mindset, not just at work, but generally as their health and well-being overall. And then we've got some physical health improvements as well. So 37% saw improvements in their physical health, 46 reported a reduction in fatigue and 40% saw a reduction in sleep difficulties. So this showed there's such a positive impact on employee well-being as a whole as a result of a small change because we're only, you know, if we go back to the figure that I just said, average hours reduced from 38 to 34 hours a week, Mm -hmm. that's then a massive impact and a massive uplift as against that four hour reduction in hours a week. Yeah, it's quite amazing, actually, when you put it in that context. Yeah, it is. And I think if you if you look at the moment of some of the biggest challenges that are facing businesses, it is about we've done loads of session on these retention recruitment. How do you make yourself the employer of choice when you're struggling to recruit for for a skill shortage and we've done lots of sessions and we've worked with with partners to say well if you're in a recruitment process the candidates that you're speaking to are equally going to be in recruitment processes elsewhere so how do you make yourself as an employer stand out and and one of the themes that we focused on is that employer authenticity so you know yes you might have a blurb in your recruitment profile but if 
potential candidates are looking on social media to get a flavour for you as an employer is what your employees are saying about you out there. Now, if you've got a happy and engaged workforce who have got that improved mental health, they feel like they've got that work-life balance, they are your best advocates. So, having a workforce that is you know reporting that the way that you are allowing them to work has positive impacts on their health and their well-being and if you can harness that message and share it as part of your recruitment process you're going to attract brilliant talent but more importantly you are going to keep your superstars amongst your workforce engaged with you and you're not going to lose them to your competitor down the road. That's really interesting Elaine thank you. Can I just ask you about the financial benefits too. I'm assuming that at least some of the people on the trial are likely to have had paid childcare and I'm assuming that working a shorter week could reduce those costs. Yeah, absolutely. So as part of the, the trial, um, it was it was claimed that a parent with two children would save 3,200 and a bit pounds on average through the year, which equates to just under £270 a month. And that is really key because childcare is such a huge cost. So when my children were younger, and not to give my age away, but it was quite a few years ago, but even at that point, before my free 15 hours kicked in, and when I'd got both children in nursery, my childcare fees were more than my mortgage. Um, And that's, uh, I know, and that's only got worse. And I think that has been acknowledged by the government because in the budget a few months ago, they've acknowledged that childcare cost is one of the biggest costs facing working households. Mm. Um, And if you couple that with the, the environment that we're in at the moment with the cost of living crisis, there's already a massive pressure on employers to give significant pay rises just to cover the inflationary price increases that we are all having with cost of energy, feeding a family, heating a home, travel. So I think anything that businesses can do to help that again comes back to how are you you retaining staff? How are you recruiting staff? How are you being the best employer that you can be in the marketplace? So this is a significant benefit to employees that actually doesn't need to come at a cost to the employer. Yeah, and they can actually feel it in their pocket. It sounds then as if we've got an overwhelming majority of employees that really like this new way of working. Were there anybody or were there any groups of people that took a different view, didn't like, didn't like this sort of system? Yes. And it it wasn't necessarily they didn't like the concept of a four day working week. But what we did see was employees who struggled to understand if they lost the ability to continue on this pattern. So where employers as part of the trial had had to stop um, right. allowing So the it conditional one that you were talking about earlier. Yeah. So if, if performance targets weren't met or if productivity was affected as part of the trial, either employers stopped. And in this may not, some of the studies we saw, so it wasn't for the whole business. Mm. Some companies that were part of the trial couldn't follow through with it at all across the business. But where we got real detractors or, or real voices of concern was where it could continue with some teams or some departments, but not others. And the reason for a lot of the discontent about that was when those teams who lost the right for the four day week, if you like, started to ask why mm. there wasn't 
openness and transparency about the reasons. They felt that there was a bit of opaqueness and, and the answers were a little bit wishy-washy. So they never understood why colleagues of theirs were still getting 100% payable working four days a week and they had to revert back to their five day a week model. I get that. I mean, I think that's human nature, isn't it? If your colleague in a different department is better off than you are, then you're bound to feel resentful, whether or not, you know, that's something that you deserve because you haven't been working as hard as they have or whatever. It's just human nature, isn't it? It is, absolutely. OK, so we know that it's generally good from an employee's perspective. What about employers? I'm assuming that they were pretty impressed given that we talked at the beginning of the podcast about the fact that 80 odd percent are continuing with the trial. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th I think lots were pleasantly surprised. And I think the proportion that continued with the trial was perhaps higher than lots of us would have anticipated. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the, again, the data from the trial says to us that actually 35 percent of those businesses that took part increased their revenue compared to the same period in previous years. Wow. And they, yeah. And they did genuinely find that people were more productive working the four day week than they had been doing the five day week. And Coming back to the point I mentioned before about retention and recruitment, 57% reported higher retention rates than normal when they compared them with retention rates other than when they were using the trial, um, mm. which again just comes back to that point of it's highly competitive recruitment market at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people can't get good enough, you know, skilled staff at the moment can they anything they can do to retain and um, you know attract new staff has got to be commended yeah absolutely okay so it all sounds brilliant are, but are there any sectors where you don't think it would work as well or it's not appropriate for I think there are some sectors where it's just going to be harder to to embrace that and they're probably going to have to be a little bit more creative if it's something that they want to consider so education's an obvious one state schools have to teach for a certain number of days each year and they can't move away from that yeah. um, so they might be able to embrace some of the more annualized hours approach maybe or that staggered approach where they are operational for the full hours but staff aren't working a full working week but you know for a school that's going to be really hard how do you timetable for staff to be absent when they already have for example um you know I think they call it PPE time where they have to mark or plan yes. or prep and they're not in the classroom. So introducing further time where they're not going to be classroom based is going to be really difficult. So yeah. I think there's some obvious sectors where it will be more challenging, but will they find a way to do it if they see the positives that are coming out elsewhere? Possibly. Mm. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned the education sector because from memory, I think one of our college clients have introduced a four day working week programme. And I can't remember all of the details, but I think what they did is that they removed teaching from a Friday. So there was no pupils in, in the college at all on a Friday, which then enabled them to um, work a shorter week. And I think they've trialled it for about a year. So I think it's only about th three months in at the moment. So I don't yet know how it's gone, but it surprised me really at how how well they'd sort of thought through how it could work even in you know sectors as you've said that are much more difficult to predict how something like this could operate. Yeah I, I don't think any sector is impossible I think 
some sectors or some businesses will just have their own challenges and I think it's about properly looking at the positives that can be gained and we do have the data behind the trial to say is it worth investing all that time to find a way through it that works without just dismissing it out of hand because with with the data that's come out and the feedback that's come come through and the positives that can be taken from it I think it's quite a brave slash silly employer that automatically says that's not something we're going to do because they're quickly going to find themselves behind competitors who are then in a better position to retain and to recruit so I think if anybody's listening to this and you haven't given it some thought I think it, it's worth doing because I, I honestly think it's it's the future of where workplaces are going in some way shape or form. Well, that's interesting. I'm going to put you on the spot then now. <laughs> <laughs> You're a partner in Erwin Mitchell. Can you see law firms converting to this sort of working? Yeah, I can. I, th I think we are probably one of those sectors that aren't potentially at the forefront of it because, well, I probably shouldn't say this as a lawyer, but we're not known for our cutting edge approach. But I, I think, yeah, and I, and I think we would be foolish not to. I think, generally speaking, law firms are really good at accommodating flexible working requests. We yes. have lots and lots of females in the profession and at lots and lots of firms. We we are getting them now at the highest level. We're not yeah. quite there yet, but I, th I think we are. And I think this is the next step. So for Erwin Mitchell, we've embraced flexible by choice, um, which isn't the four day working week, but it is about having that autonomy to de decide the the appropriate place for you to work to be the most productive. Um, and so I think this is, is coming to us as a profession. And yeah. uh, we face exactly the same challenges as every other business out there in terms of making sure we retain our star talent, making sure we're attracting the best talent to come through. So I don't see that we are immune from this either. And I think we should embrace it. Mm, that's interesting. You mentioned about women wanting flexibility, but of course, this study wasn't just focused on female employees, was it? It was focused on, you know, both men and women. Mm -hmm. And Although I haven't looked in the detail of this report in as much depth as you have, I remember the Icelandic one from a few years ago and men there were really embracing it because yeah. it meant that they could undertake a hobby, they could take more care of their homes. You know, they, they, they used it for lots of different reasons, didn't they? It wasn't just about, you know, clearing off down the pub sort of four hours earlier on a, on a Friday afternoon or whatever. Yeah, and it, it is not, and, and likewise, yeah, it's not just about childcare either. No, as much no. as I mentioned females and flexible working requests, and historically that's where kind of that came from, but it isn't about that. It is about having that hobby. It's about having that downtime. It's about having the work-life balance, which is why the data has shown that actually it's about improving mental health. It's not about freeing you up to then be bogged down in something else, you know, it's about having a, a balance and time away from work to do whatever you want with it. I suppose other people may want to take a, another job on the day where they're not actually working, particularly if they need to increase their income. Yeah, they absolutely could. And, and normal rules would apply of in contracts of employment, you know, employers would have to make sure what they do about second jobs. Mm. Obviously, you wouldn't want them working for a competitor, but if they had a different job that was completely outside your sector just to top up to meet the cost of living crisis there's no need to take issue with yeah. that yeah so 
you've done a really good job in promoting four day working week. So let's assume that lots of other employers are now going to give it a go. What advice would you give to them, please, Elaine? Please don't rush into it. otherwise something that could be incredibly positive and work well not only for employees but also for the business could could actually become a negative you really do need to plan in advance so you need to think creatively in the beginning to say what works for you there's really good examples um, of how you can structure it so think about what works for your business can you shut down for one day a week or actually do you need to take a different approach and stress test that idea get together a working party that can say well if we introduce this and we allow one part of our business to have one day off but we're saying to everybody else we're just reducing your hours across the week how is that going to come across because The detractors in the trial were those who lost the right without understanding why. Mm -hmm. So stress testing, planning, making sure that you're not inadvertently creating this two tier workforce or, you know, so and so is better off than me. So get people involved. Think about the arrangements that you have in place at the moment. So introducing something like this could be a change to or is going to be a change to terms and conditions. So think about whether there's any legalities that you need to comply with. You might have to collectively consult. If you're unionised, it might be something that you have to discuss with the unions. Don't be caught out and then have to do that at the last minute, because, again, it just doesn't give the proper um, impression of what it is that you want to do. Sorry, can I just interrupt at that point? And that's true, is it? Even if we're only talking about temporary changes, because the whole point of a trial, isn't it, is to see how it goes. So by its nature, it is going to be temporary until such times as the employer decides that either they're going to go back to how they used to work or they're going to take it on board and go with it on a permanent basis. Yeah, I think I think, yes, you do. You should approach your trial as though if it's successful, this is going to be implemented. So do everything that you would need to do in terms of planning and preparation um, as though it's going to be continued by the end of the trial period. Because I don't see the point in doing a trial half cocked and then having to consult after that. It's not a smooth transition. It's not the way to introduce anything. Um, And think about the practicalities of it. So think about that trial. How long are you going to make the trial and how long do you need for it to measure whether it was a success or not? And and what are the parameters of that? What are going to be your key markers to say whether it's worked or whether it hasn't? How are you going to assess that along the way to say, well, perhaps it doesn't hit every milestone that you wanted it to but can you readjust before the end of the trial to say that hasn't quite worked but if we did it slightly differently we can assess that over the balance of the trial Um, and preempt the difficulties that you're going to experience don't go into this thinking this is going to be brilliant and it's going to work perfectly and then be surprised when you do hit a road bump or you do have a hiccup along the way think about what those are and have in place a plan of well how will we adjust if these things happen Mm. Um, and you've got to think about the the practicalities behind it as well we we are doing this to give employees the benefit of it but we still need them to be super productive in that reduced amount of time so how are you going to maintain your productivity levels yeah so in terms of productivity if you're going to maintain or in some cases try and increase productivity how are you going to do it if you've got less hours available and that's the million dollar question 
Um, <laughs> well, some of these um, businesses obviously seem to have cracked it. So what they do we did. know? The, the key point was identifying ways to work smarter. Um, and actually, in a lot of the businesses that took part in the trial, they found that employees often came up with the best ways to save yeah. labour, so to save their own time and work most efficiently. So this is where the engagement comes on board. Be in a position to sell it to your employees, get them on board because they will enhance what you had planned already because they're going to come to you as the best advocates because they want this trial to be successful. Yeah. So they will be massively, massively in, invested in it. So some simple things, meetings, how many people do you need to attend, how many meetings and how much time is wasted? So can you limit the number of meetings that you have, limit the number of people who go to those meetings and make sure that they are as efficient as possible? They serve to a get, purpose. Yeah, get through an agenda and have clear outputs. Don't talk about stuff that then you have to recap in the next three meetings because mm. everybody's forgotten about them. And, and changing things like email etiquette. How many emails do you get a day? I get hundreds and a good proportion of those I'm just copied. And if I read through them all, there's not actually anything for me to do. Someone just thought, oh, Elaine should know about this. I think it's actually, covering. <laughs> some, sometimes I do. Or sometimes it's, oh, I'm not quite sure. I fired off this response. And if I copy Elaine in, she'll tell me if mm. I've missed anything. And, and so I think we've all got to work smarter. And, and simple things like meetings and emails could actually save you loads of time because you're only looking really you know look at the study 38 to 34 hours a week that's all the time you've got to save yeah yeah that's true yeah so some really sensible ideas there but I suppose my concern would be that if you're having to work more intensively to get through a to-do list you'll lose something so you won't have time necessarily to chat to colleagues you may not feel that you want to take a lunch break all of those sorts of things and it may become much more difficult to forge relationships might the culture of the business suffer yes I think is the short answer but the slightly longer version of that is yes if you don't plan for it Right. So again, when you are sitting down to say this is something we might consider, you can't ignore the social, cultural, relationship aspect of, of work. And especially if businesses have got some employees who are working hybrid or working remote, there's loads of positives for that. But what we've seen is that actually, I hate to say you've got to have organised fun because that's not really fun, <laughs> is it? But But in all seriousness, you do have to think about how you are going to encourage collaboration, how you are going to encourage team bonding. And maybe that is that, you know, instead of having the off the cuff trip to the pub on a Friday that we used to have before the weekend to have a few drinks or, you know, whatever it was, maybe you now do, do need to think about team away days or putting in place project teams or, you know, it, it's a little bit organised, but, but yeah. you'll reap the rewards. It's got to be part of your planning. Yeah. So. What about karaoke? <laughs> I've thrown that in because Elaine and I are off to a do this evening in which karaoke is going to be performed, hopefully not by either of us. I'm not sure we're going to have a choice, Joe. I think we will be uh, demanded of by the team. But yeah, I, I, think it's, I think it's a positive. I think it's something to look forward to. It's going to be a great night because it's really well anticipated. And it is going to, I mean, it's going to be brilliant. Not my karaoke and my singing, but the rest of the night's going to be brilliant. So fantastic. So let's finish on a serious note then. 
what are the legal issues that employers need to consider before they start a trial? I know you've identified some of these. You've sort of talked about collective consultation necessarily. Um, can you elaborate a little bit on, on that and, and talk about any others that you think are important? Yeah, so if, if you're changing terms and conditions and one consequence of that is you do have to collectively inform and consult with employees because to change someone's terms and conditions, you can't do it arbitrarily or unilaterally so you can't take the decision to do it without their agreement yeah so it is going to be part of the consultation process so if you recognize unions you should be consulting with the unions if not you may have to elect employee representatives and most people when I mention collective consultation or consultation with unions their heart starts to sink but perversely I really like it I think it's actually <laughs> a positive thing I know Joe. Um, <laughs> bear with me for one second okay be I like it because it gives you a framework. Yeah. You know what you have to do, you know by when, and you can plan for it all in advance. So when we work with clients, when I work with clients, we literally have a bit of a, an armory of all our template documents. We've got the communications in advance and we might have to amend them along the way, but we've got a plan and we, we can pretty much stick to that plan, albeit for a few speed bumps here and there. And by planning in advance, we can make that a really positive experience for the employees, particularly given in this case, we're talking about introducing the four day week. So that consultation process should actually be really good. And it's the earliest opportunity to say to employees, this is what we're thinking about. And they might come to you then with their own ideas. So this is a really positive period to have with employees. Yeah. Um, you should be able to agree it fairly easily because it's a win-win for the employees. They're getting asked to work less, just smarter for the same amount of money. And there are potential um, financial benefits to them that we've discussed around childcare savings, etc. There is nothing for them not to like in this. So it's going to be a real positive. You might have to think about some other legal kind of knock-on effects. So, for example, have you got to have a look at holiday entitlement? Um, because that is going to be a proportion of a working week. So you might have to recalculate or readjust how you um, award holiday if people aren't going to be working five days a week. Yeah. And you might have to do some other risk assessments. So, for example, have you got any employees who currently work altered hours due to, for example, a flexible working request? And how is it going to impact them if you then introduce a new work pattern? Because unlike somebody who, if you've got somebody who works Monday to Friday, nine till five, and you say, we don't need you to work Fridays anymore, well, that's brilliant for them. But if you have someone who has tailored their working hours and then you change it, there might be knock-on consequences that we need to consider. So mm. risk assess, involve department heads or teams to say, if we introduce this, do you foresee any problems with any of your team members that we can preempt in advance? Just to try and keep it as that positive message that goes out. Brilliant. That was excellent. Thank you so much. Did you enjoy it? I did actually. You were very kind to me for my first one and a brilliant topic that I'm I am in favour of. It can work well if it's properly planned. So thank you, Joe. Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much. And that's it for today. If you want to hear more about the latest employment law updates alongside expert commentary, tune in in a fortnight. Thank you for listening. Bye bye.